This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexander. Alright, welcome, 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 welcome back to Fans on the Run. I think I said that about five times instead of the usual three, which means I'm us- I might be off my A-game today. We will soon find out what that means, if it has any subliminal meaning at all. Oh my god, guys, we have a great guest for you today. Um, this is this is the first time I think I'm going to do this. Uh, mystery guest, how would you describe yourself? I would describe myself as one of the fans on the run. He is one of the original fans on the run, and he's one of the biggest Beatles collectors I know. Please welcome to the show, Rick Glover. Ricky, welcome to the show. Well, hi there. Hi, Ethan. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on, on your wonderful podcast. That's not that wonderful. You'll figure that out quick. I've been having fun listening to them, and I, I know most of the folks that you've had on either personally and certainly by reputation, so uh, hope uh, hope we can have some fun here today. Have some fun tonight, even though it's <laughs> the middle of the afternoon. So, I'm just going to jump right in. Ricky? When did you first discover the Beatles? Well, I am a first-generation fan. I, I'm 66 years old, so that makes me about 10 years old when the Fabs hit the States. And I was, uh, I was a prime target, I suppose. At 10 years old, I was living in uh, my hometown is Bristol, Tennessee, up in the Appalachian Mountains and uh, hillbilly country for sure. <laughs> and uh, my mother loved the... Uh, kind of the soul rock music she she was a big fan of uh, folks like little richard and fats domino and gospel music gospel uh, the spiritual music she she loved that uh, the, the swing stuff and my dad was a fan of roy orbison johnny cash um, Who isn't a fan George, of Roy Orbison? Yeah, yeah right. Jo- George Jones, the, the the real country storytelling country. So you take uh, you take Roy and Johnny and mix it with uh, Little Richard and Fats Domino, and you pretty much got the Fabs right there. Throw in a little Elvis that Mom loved too, and uh, so I grew up in a at least a musically oriented household where there was always the radio on and there was always t- t- television on. Mom. Mom wanted us. I think my mother realized that we lived in a uh, somewhat of a culturally challenged area. There, there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot going on in the in the mountains of uh, up in the hills of Tennessee. But uh, my mom realized, I believe, that there was things going on in other places. She always was uh, taking us on vacation to cities: Detroit, New York City, uh, Florida cities, Atlanta, and um, she wanted us to see the. I think she wanted me and my sister to see the culture and the the, the what the world might have to offer beyond the uh, working in a factory or you know just going going to the regular routine that a lot of folks in that area were kind of stuck with. She always liked to have magazines on our coffee table. Uh, look, life. Uh, international magazine, so we so we would see a wide, wide range of things. So when the Beatles came over in '64, um, it kind of got I think it got my mom's attention a little bit too that something new was coming along. And I do remember sitting on our uh, sitting at our kitchen table on what would have been February 7th, 
1964, we could our, our house was arranged so we could see the television from our kitchen, mm-hmm. and we were eating eating dinner and watching Walter Cronkite on CBS News as the Beatles were landing in um, JFK at, at New York Airport, mm-hmm. and I saw them. Now keep in mind, I was a ten year old child. And children back then were a bit different. The whole, I guess, 10-year-olds are a bit more, or quite a bit more mature these days. But I was really... I wouldn't really go so that far. <laughs> but I, I, what I was expecting was, if it, do you know who Topo Gigio, the little Italian mouse, do you know that act on the Ed Sullivan show? I, I recognize was, the name. And well, I it think was a I, children's. I think I saw it on, was, was... The mouse on the first Ed Sullivan show because I have the DVD in it. Could have been. Uh, yeah, Topo Gigio was on uh, a lot of Sullivan shows, a lot of variety shows, and things like that. Um, but Topo Gigio was for for children, literally a Captain Kangaroo type kids program, <laughs> and um, kids act at least. And truthfully, when I heard Ed Sullivan's show, uh, everyone always watched the Ed Sullivan show every sa- Sunday night. That was uh, I, you talk about must see TV. Ed <laughs> Sullivan was, was that the originator yeah. of that phrase. <laughs> and um, of course, watching the Ed Sullivan show the week before the Beatles came on, I remember Ed saying, "Coming up next week for you kids or you children, you kids or something like that, youngsters." I believe he used the word for you youngsters. The Beatles from England. Now I don't know. I, again, I was a child. I don't have a specific memory of hearing the Beatles on the radio before this type of uh, attention on seeing them land, I remember thinking, what, what are these guys? These are men getting off an airplane. How could this be a kid's act? I did not realize the connection of what the, what was going to be seen on the Ed Sullivan show a few nights later. <laughs> but that would have been on a Friday. So the Saturday, the next day, which would have, I guess, been the 8th of February, I went to a friend of mine's birthday party, and he was about my age, too, and someone had given him I Want to Hold Your Hand, the song. And I remember hearing, I saw her standing there from a different room in the house. We were we were at his, his grandfather's house, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we were in one room having the party, and, the, and there was a record playing in the other room. And I was, I felt physically drawn, like one of those, uh, get, getting the hook off stage. I felt something pulling me from, from the, to the other room, listening to that. I saw her standing there, bumping, bumping, bumping. And I saw the picture on the picture sleeve. And that moment was like a crystallization happened. I just said, I, that's, that's what I've been waiting for, waiting for all my 10 years at that point. <laughs> the next day. Seeing them on the Ed Sullivan show was, you know, the the lightning struck then, uh, just dro- jaw dropping to the floor, saying that you know, having there's no no way to describe how that was making first impression on a ten year old kid in those times with all all the we're living in a very interesting period right now, but there was a similar. Mm-hmm. Dynamics going on in in the in the country because of Kennedy assassination, the Cuba issues, the communist issues, the whole uh, the, the 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 culture was certainly needing something to 
to have some fun with. And, and they came along just, just perfect to provide that. Because I, I talked to you from a perspective where um, the Ed Sullivan Beatles show is a historical event. Uh, I wasn't alive, and I wouldn't have been alive for almost uh, 40 years after that aired. So I can't even imagine what kind of excitement you must have felt uh, first seeing it live with all the 73 other million people. It was an eye-opening experience with, without question, not only for me as a 10-year-old, but like I said, the, the, the next day, I went, I, I vividly remember on the bus to the, we were in the fourth grade, a friend of mine, uh, well, first of all, we all had hair at that time. I, I can't, I can't claim to be in that club anymore, but maybe the hair club for men, but um, um, we were on the bus on the way to our fourth grade class. And my friend said, did you see that Beatles thing on TV last night? And we said, I wonder what we would look like if we combed our hair down like that, too. And the day after the Ed Sullivan show, me and my friend went into the fourth grade with Beatle haircuts. My fourth grade teacher said, Stout. there will be no Beatle haircuts in my classroom. And she said, Something like the Beatles were sent from the pits of hell to destroy the youth of America. I swear, I, I'm quoting her as verbatim as I can remember it. She said, no Beatle haircuts in my class. Well, but they so were, I weren't went, they? Well, here's what I did. I went home and, and told my mom, and I said, Mom, crazy old Miss Barr says so she's not going to allow any Beatle haircuts in her class, my mom said. I'll go to school with you tomorrow. And I thought, uh-oh, I'm not too sure this is going the way I want it to now. Mm -hmm. Because you, at 10 years, at the fourth grade, you don't want your mom going to school with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? But she went to school, and she kind of leaned over Ms. Buck, my fourth grade teacher's t uh, desk and said, you worry about his education. We'll worry about his hairstyle. And I'm thinking, wow, mom, go get him, go get him. Awesome mom. For uh, my mom, what my mom plays such a role in this, in, in, first in my life, of course, but in the saga of me being the, the Beatle fan that I am and have the collection that I am, because not only that, going through all the Beatle years and the support that she gave me for uh, being, being a fan through the days of Beatlemania, something I did not know until about 1976. She had taken, I, I was very, I, I lived a pretty much a, a leave it to beaver type yeah. life. We, we were, we were very fortunate. We, we, we didn't have to worry about having food on the table or, um, you know, my, my dad always had a, a good job and the, uh, we, we had, we had a good childhood mm -hmm. and, um, she said, uh, oh, well, I had lots of Beatle toys as mm -hmm. a child. And in 1976, after I got out of college, I was talking to my mom once and said something to the effect of, I, I kept all the Beatle albums, but I wish I'd kept my Beatles lunchbox and my game and some of the toys that I had. And she said something like, we were sitting in the kitchen again. She said, look in that box under the sink. And she had kept so much of my toys and my original things that I had had as a child. And if you've seen the little videos that mm -hmm. I've been doing on on Facebook, 
uh, I, one of the first ones I did was about the things that are the original items in my, uh, my collection that included my scrapbook, the scrapbook that I put together as the uh, Beatles were going uh, through the, the six or eight years that they spent uh, in, the, in the spotlight as a band. I made that scrapbook that's in, in that video. So thanks to Mom for basically supporting me in the beginning and uh, coming up with that, uh, that brilliant move uh, to, to start the collection. As a refresher for our, our listeners, what was the first Beatle toy that you remember getting as a kid? The first one that has a significant memory would have to be the uh, the lunchbox, I'm sure. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I the lunchbox that <clears throat> that's one of the cornerstone pieces of the uh, of any Beetle memorabilia collection, but certainly my collection because it is my the one that I carried in the fourth grade and still uh, I'm sort of a one owner high mileage version of that that car or that <laughs> that. Uh, lunchbox and I it was almost like a uh, like a badge of honor if you were carrying your Beatles lunchbox or your Beatles notebook or uh, something to kind of stay let your let your friends know who uh, where, where your loyalties lie mm -hmm. that uh, it, was, it was waving your freak flag in, at the, in the fourth grade mm -hmm. So what were what were some of the first Beatles records that you remember getting uh, in that early 64 time? Well, again, I was pretty fortunate to be able to, to my, I would usually go grocery shopping with my, uh, my, my, my dad got paid on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So we would go grocery shopping on Thursday night. And our uh, the grocery stores that we went to usually had a rack of records mm -hmm. uh, in, at, up near the uh, the impulse buy near, uh, near the uh, the cash registers, and I would always uh, lurk around the the record rack and say, you know, what's the new Beatle record? But the, the to answer the first one that I got, I remember getting introducing the Beatles mm -hmm. very very early, and that one might have been the first one, or could have been Meet the Beatles. Uh, both of those were the, the first ones to, to become available. There was a store called The Record Shop that was on the same street as my grandparents. I wonder what they lived. sold. <laughs> yeah, original name, huh? Very oh, uh, yeah. subtle. And uh, I'll tell you, they got to know the sound of my voice because I would call and say, oh, I read in the newspaper that the Beatles are working on a new acoustic album. Uh, it's going to be called Rubber Soul. Is it out yet? No, Rick, uh, they just started working on it. It'll be months before that's out, so just get ready to, uh, you know, they, and I, well, we'll talk to you tomorrow, and sure enough, I would, I, I talked to them, uh, to them a lot there, developed a good relationship with them, with them there. I wish, I'd, wish they'd have sent me some of those promotional posters I remember seeing in the, oh, <laughs> those yeah. days. All of those What's promotional that? posters are awesome, but they go for like an arm and a leg now, though, don't they? Well, there is a there's a financial aspect of the of, of collecting that is a, a reality that uh, collectors have to deal with. So, but the answer to the question is yes. The promotional posters for those early uh, records go for uh, good for some choking amounts of money. Mm -hmm. um, but I really collect primarily because I love the things and the memories that are associated with them certainly much more so than 
being inspired by how much a particular piece of cardboard or a yeah. piece of vinyl may be worth, I recognize and certainly have a, an appreciation for the dollar value of the of the items. And I, I look at some of the super high dollar items that are on some of the auctions of the Sotheby's sites, and now that the Heritage site's got a, a, a huge uh, lot of just absolutely stunning. Beatles memorabilia for, for auction right now, and I have to kind of balance the reality of at this stage of my of my career. I'm, I'm going to have to have to decide what uh, what I'm going to do with the, these things uh, for, for for future reference. There's a great Beatles museum here in Dunedin, Florida, that uh, it's called Penny Lane mm -hmm. Beatles Museum, and uh, we're we're uh, speaking with those guys about uh, possibly including some of some of the items in my collection and uh, on display in their museum there and uh, another reason uh, Florida is another interesting place because just the, uh, the amount of tourists and interests uh, I, I love to share my toys and my collection and certainly my stories with uh, this, uh, uh, some folks that might hopefully appreciate them and enjoy them as well and uh, to be able to share share the stuff with the, the general public in a museum situation like that, that's uh, that's that's really really, I guess maybe an objective. If you say why do you collect things? First, because you love them. Mm -hmm. That's the real reason. And I I really dig these uh, videos that you've been putting out for the last uh, I'd say a couple months. Uh, of in your collection room, uh, like a particular favorite is the beetle like gumball toys, and your oh, story yeah. of going into some warehouse and sifting through just giant bags to find all the beetle ones. Exactly, yeah. uh, that was an amazing series of events that led to that one little conversation with the you know a girlfriend and a child and a. Uh, an ex-husband and all all those pieces fell together to put me in that in that warehouse, and uh, I appreciate you saying that about uh, the that you're enjoying the videos, and I hope that uh, some of your listeners and uh, the folks that are watching them are enjoying them too. I just uh, what really inspired me, if you want to say why I would be doing these videos, is uh, Lawrence Juber, you know, the mm -hmm. Wings guitar player. He does a wonderful thing for uh, for fans. Uh, in the afternoons, he does the, his tea time with LJ, uh, where he plays a couple of uh, tunes and chats with uh, with fans almost well, at least three days a week. And he was saying that that was something that he thought he could do to kind of add a little, hopefully, a, a smile and a little distraction for the, from this damn quarantine that we're in. You probably heard about this virus that's going around, haven't you? What virus? And, uh, <laughs> what virus? I've just been choosing to stay in my house for the last four months. <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, I thought I certainly can't play a guitar or entertain the way that he is, but what could I do? I would like to do something too to just provide hopefully a smile and a little distraction for this uh, this thing that we're dealing with here. Everybody's in the same boat on the situation with this. So if uh, I, I just thought if I could, you know, let people visit my uh, collection. I've had people come to my homes many many times, and we always get to 
you know, someone will ask, where did you find that? Or what's the story behind that? Or uh, why is that piece of sheetrock in the collection or something like that? And they, uh, I've, I've been told at least that uh, folks enjoy the, the stories that uh, when they get to visit the collection. So this little Facebook live uh, video is a, what I think is a good way to uh, invite people into, into my uh, collection room and uh, share some of my stories because like like you say that one with the little girl in the warehouse was uh, just an amazing series of events to, uh, to to put that box in front of me there to be able to go through and, uh, and find some beetle goodies i i actually think you and i have that in common that was the same reason why i started this show to begin with uh it's to hopefully make somebody smile during these difficult times Exactly. Exactly. I know I have. I've gotten some some good good laughs, and and, and certainly you you you've accomplished your objective there from some of the, uh, the 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 chats that I've listened in on on yours. Jackie Spencer's was was excellent. I, Thank I, you. I know her her personally, and uh, David, and uh, several of the others that uh, I really enjoyed back in in, in the early early episodes too. So hope you can carry these on and. Uh, keep it working i but one of the things that i enjoy as a first generation fan at 66 is seeing you young folks get it to to to, to really get my one, one of the things that i've said many times before is you didn't have to live through the days of beatlemania to be infected by beatlemania i've got a niece and nephew that are significantly younger you know kids to, to me and they uh i see them discovering and all, a lot of young folks discovering the the certainly the beautiful music the melodies the production values the the, the positive messages in the the beatles music and uh also the kids are digging in like yourself you know the story the saga this, this epic drama behind the uh the four phases and so many twists and turns in the ups I'm going to do a pun in the long and winding road that has led us from 1962 uh, to today. Applause! <laughs> Hold your applause. Throw money <laughs> for the collection. Yeah. People in the cheap seats, clap your hands. Rest of you just rattled your jewelry. Oh, good line. <laughs> So, you know, when I see the kids, and, and I, I consider what you're doing is a service to uh, provide that link from the, the, old, the old farts and the, old, the, the folks that, went, uh, that were lucky enough to live through it, you are uh, doing a, uh, a fortunate service to, uh, to some of the folks that, have, that didn't live through it, but at least we can share... The, the first generation's stories and uh, all the all the documentation that's getting you know every geez, every move that they make every time Paul changes his socks you know it's a, a, a full stop on Facebook everybody you know with the pictures of them uh, going going for a walk and buying an ice cream or something yeah. and it's uh, uh, you know good news bad news you're getting it. Uh, you're, you're getting your life invaded there, and uh, you, you can't make a move without having it uh, pried into. On the other hand, you are getting you know, your stories well documented, and as they as they occur, instead of looking back uh, 
a year, a ten year, a hundred years, and making up stories about how uh, they were, um, you know, hearing voices from burning bushes or whatever <laughs> may yeah. be and becoming becoming a myth instead of the actual stories that uh, or or the actual events as they occurred. I've said this before on the show, and I'll say it again. I think the Beatles may be the most documented group of musicians in history and then they're they're the closest people that you can get to knowing everything about them like there are several books that go day by day through all of the 60s telling you exactly what the beatles did like not just one book there are several yes fascinating the 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 hunger to know the details everyone wants to know exactly how every piece of the jigsaw puzzle fits together because without seeing every piece of it you don't get the complete picture mm-hmm. and folks like uh, lewis and that are that are doing those huge huge detailed tomes that he that he's working on and, and those great day-by-day books and uh, there's one i believe it's by chip that does all the video appearances mm-hmm. Talk about documentation, having every move that you made available on YouTube now. You could spend, you know, there's there's like 16 hours of uh, video clips from 1964 that you could uh, uh, spend days and days, just year by year on that. And talk about fo- uh, but, um, the, the number of times those four faces have been photographed. You know, I pitched it to Kodak once that Paul McCartney should get an award for the most photographed face in history. Who, a legitimate question to put to you and your listeners, who in the history of photography has had their picture taken more than Paul McCartney? Not a president, not even a pope. Pope's been around for a long time, but there's been several popes. There's only been one, Paul McCartney, for the last 60, well, well however many, de- 70 years. Depending on who you talk to. Because some people say he died in that car crash, and if you play the records <laughs> oh, no. backwards, oh no! Don't 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 open that can of worms. <laughs> we, we might as well be talking politics. <laughs> I didn't know that was that controversial in the Beatles world. Uh, it can be uh, co- controversial. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, controversial but, uh, among stupid people. Con- conversation generating it certainly yeah. does. You said but his name, so I just want to give him a shout out, <laughs> Mark Lewison. If you're listening, and I know you are listening, you you got to come on the show at some point. I would love to hear. Him. I'd love to hear him, Jack. I, I I've heard he has heard this show and that he enjoyed it. So it it's not okay. a complete zero percent chance. Well, he's a, he's a good one. He's, he and, and he is the one that you should talk to for oh, yeah. sure for the for the for the facts, the details, and the history and. The, he, he is making the Beatles study a science. And I, as a scientist myself, I certainly appreciate that. But I can tell you, as a person who has hugged Paul McCartney myself, I can tell you he is still with us, and he's a, he, he's a, he's a good hugger, too. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, don't let that rumor continue at all. That uh, Paul is still with us, like the, the cover of... Um, I think it's Life magazine. Yeah, says. Life. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna jump back to you were talking about '64. What are some of your favorite early Beatles memories or memories involving the Beatles? Well, 
one of my, I think the best way to answer that would be some of the fun that we had being the basement Beatles. My, my dad built me a little playroom in, in the basement of our house, and it became the, the hangout for all of my, my friends. I, I had a friend, this, this is going to sound like uh, Harry Potter, but I had a friend named Wesley okay. that uh, used, used to come over and uh, Jimmy up the street and Roger up the street, and we were the basement Beatles. We would take uh, tennis rackets and put on the Beatles records and mime, and the, the girls would come over and fake faint and swoon, and it was it was just so much. The, the, the memories of... Uh, Trying to be a beetle <laughs> as a 10, 12, uh, 12 year old. Is Ladies and gentlemen, now. the basement beetles. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a pretty good Sullivan too. No, listen, you don't have to lie. But what was what was the real fun is, and you, I hate to sound like the uh, the old codger, you young folks don't know what it was like to have to watch television when it was being shown. You got if when the Beatles were on, uh, let's say on the Help, when they were there for uh, promoting the new album for Help. Okay, that played for six, eight, ten minutes. If you weren't sitting in front of your television for those eight to ten minutes, you missed it. There were no VCRs, there were no DVRs to record these things on. You got one chance to watch the Beatles live on t television, so you scheduled your life around watching whatever television program was uh, uh, going to be broadcast at that time. And uh, that was that way up until like 1980, 82 is when VCRs became common. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, you ask about Beatle memories. I remember having, uh, scouring through the TV guide to, to find out if maybe Paul and John were going to be on The Tonight Show. That was a, that was a big deal. It was one of them that would been '68, yeah, I guess. Yeah, they were promoting and, uh, Apple, right? Right, right. And finding, uh, you know, f scheduling your your television, uh, watching around when uh, when something was going to be on. We got television shows like Where the Action Is. It was on every afternoon, <laughs> and they would have Paul Revere and the Raiders and the uh, the local or the whoever the flavor of the month was coming through as the. Uh, music entertainment but there just wasn't that much for teenagers for young young folks to uh, to, to catch up with well there was so you know american bandstand american bandstand on saturdays was uh, you know, was a choice but again that was that one hour and if you were out uh, out playing softball or something uh, something goofy you missed it it was it was gone and you, you heard about it the next day why would you be out playing softball when you could be inside watching the young rascals like Good point. On whatever it was, American Bandstand Good point. or something. Exactly. My kind of, my kind of guy. I, I, <laughs> so, Ricky, what do the Beatles mean to you? Well, for me, the, the biggest source of happiness on the, on the planet. Well, they, they have been, uh, you know, the cliche is the, the backdrop, the soundtrack to, to our lives. My kind of and, guy. Uh, what... Uh, what I have always really looked to them for is the positivity. Mm -hmm. That's something else that I see the young folks picking up on, the positive message, just the general positive vibes that uh, that you can't help but feel when you're hearing songs that say all you need is love yeah. and 
uh, here comes the sun. What what's and, a great uh, what, what what could be better positive news than the sun's coming up tomorrow? And especially and have... like with my generation, you can know the entire story, and knowing that while they were having all these internal like squabbles. You know, John's strung out on heroin or something. They're still yeah. able to make beautiful music like, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Yeah, now that is one uh, advantage that you youngster, young, younger, you youngsters, yeah. you the younger fans do have is a perspective of being able to have the whole history in front of you, and. Uh, some something that some of the young folks have asked me before, something like, "Did you, when you were growing, going through the changes of the music, did you notice a big difference between Help and Rubber Soul, let's say, or Revolver to Sgt. Pepper?" Well, yes, you you you, yeah. you noticed it, but you were you were it wasn't like we were looking for benchmarks of change. You were just or, happy there was a new Beatles album out. Yes, yes, it was just the the next page in the book that w was uh, being written as we lived through it. Mm -hmm. So um, the the fact that the the generations that are coming up and finding re rediscovering these things have have a little different context of what uh, like you knew what was going on. For example, John being on heroin in those last days or uh, the uh, last days of the Beatles mm -hmm. and the, uh, the, maybe the conflicts now between John and Paul about who's, who's going to get what songs on, on the singles and things yeah. like that. So uh, we hadn't, well, we, we had bits and pieces and we had sort of the whitewashed uh, 16 magazine version of uh, their personal lives. Yeah. But now with, with all the documentation that we were just talking about, in place there, uh, you, you you know the not only the day by day history of what was happening, but you get a, get a feel for what the uh, the feelings and uh, emotions and changes that the boys themselves were going through in those days. I want to ask you, what was it like uh, for the first time back in '67? You know, it could have been even June first if you got it that day, hearing Sergeant Pepper for the first time. I remember that that uh, very vividly because of re reading the words, the lyrics on the back of the album cover on home, and uh, it was strange, very different lyrics than. Uh, and I uh, got home and opened the opened the packaging and saw the uh, the inner sleeve. Uh, all psychedelic like that, and the, the little trinkets and goodies that uh, that came with it. Uh, it looked like we were off on another uh, another journey. Uh, uh, certainly, a, there had been a fork in the road that uh, that someone someone had taken, and uh, didn't know where this didn't know where this avenue was going to, going to take us. But it sure looked like an interesting uh, interesting journey from from that point on. The uh, in ushering in the psychedelic era, as Sergeant Pepper did, the uh, about let's see that came out in june in july of 67 my mother again my mother uh, drove us from bristol tennessee to greensboro north carolina to see the monkeys and if you know your monkeys history the Jimi hendrix experience opened for that 1967 oh, wow. tour so as a 13 year old kid who just got his 
got his teething in for the psychedelic stuff for Sgt. Pepper a few weeks before that, seeing Jimi Hendrix literally change. That's one of the times when I could feel my course changing from the pop songs of the monkeys, Daydream Believer and the Beatles, yeah, 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 to something a little a little more heavy and a little a little more heady too a little more the wind cries mary and yeah, a little man. less i want to hold your hand yeah i uh, i love the psychedelic music and uh, all the trappings oh, too, that go man. with it and uh, that then that led to the progressive what i consider the progressive music uh, what's labeled progressive yes genesis king crimson and that's the music that i listen love to king crimson 70s. so much that's that's the most intense music ever made I still list. Uh, I, I I got to see Crimson in '74. Still the most intense evening I've ever had musically in in my life. And I saw Yoko Ono. I I got to see Yoko in '95, and I list her concert with Ima as the second most intense concert uh, that I've ever seen in my life. So uh, hear that, Yoko? You just got beat by King Crimson. But just barely. Just barely. Yeah. And and uh, that. Seeing, seeing Yoko was was a for, for a, a person that appreciates that kind of music. Oh, that was that was a fun, great evening there. My, and I also got got to enjoy that with my best friend in the world. We we went to Washington D.C. to uh, to to see her perform at the Nine Ten Club up there on that short IMA tour, and that was a, a great evening. I I love love Yoko and the the impact that she's had on the the, the whole world and culture too what would you say is the rarest item in your Beatles collection well most of the thing my my collection I try to focus on the things that were sold in the stores the items that were sold in the you know Woolworths and the, the, the five and ten cents in stores over there so as far as having a, a the one-of-a-kind type rarity items I do have, in fact, well, the shows that I just did the last week were about some of the display cards. If you watch the one about the ink pen display cards mm -hmm. and uh, the sunglasses display cards and some of those those type things are probably uh, very, very scarce. In fact, the guys that put the uh, price guides together say that that's the only one of those pen cards that they actually know, uh, know of in existence. So that, that one probably one of the rarest pieces of uh, produced uh, mass-produced memorabilia that I, that I would have the uh, one one of a kind piece that I, I have in the collection is that uh, chunk of sheetrock from the cavern club that uh, Patty Delaney the doorman at the cavern uh, gave me uh, to form for my collection uh, and then that reminds me too of then I've got one mercy beat newspaper that's been signed by Paul and Ringo and Patty Delaney as well another gift from Patty so those items probably if I have to really identify a rarest piece in, in my collection those would probably be the most most scarce items like that the thing that the items that are certainly the most uh, dear and precious to me would be the uh, things that I had as a child the scrapbook that I, that I made and referred to earlier, certainly the lunchbox, the Halloween costume that I wore door to door as a 12-year-old 12, 12 
uh, I, I played John Lennon going from door to door, and uh, that uh, that certainly has some wonderful memories and strong memories associated with it. So, well, you're the only person I know with a signed copy of Revolver that was signed by Peter Fonda. <laughs> that is signed. So, that's right. Yeah. So that that's pretty one of a kind. A lot now the autographed items too. That the um, I've I've been fortunate to have been in the situation environments to to be able to meet many of the celebrities or people that have been associated with the Beatles uh, over the years. And I uh, getting getting their signatures is a uh, a nice way to have have a souvenir of meeting whoever it might be and sh shaking their hand and hearing their <laughs> stories. And I, I have met several people, and I've got I've got lots more of uh, what I call encounter stories to, uh, to to tell on my uh, on my live five program. So hope uh, hope you can tune in to, to more of those, and we can continue those for as long as we need to with this uh, this damn quarantine going on. It doesn't seem like that we're going to be uh, going to be out and about you know, with any d degree of normalcy here in the foreseeable future right now so uh, mm -hmm. i'm hoping to continue these little uh, little programs and as long as there's uh, uh some some folks that are interested in watching and giving me good uh, feedback and good vibes from that i'll do them if you like them i'm gonna hit you with some quick fire questions sure what is your favorite beatles song i saw her standing there when you really got to pin me on it because that's the one i i recall i saw first and uh, it never fails to Move me when I hear it on the radio, or certainly when I hear it live. Now, what is your least favorite Beatles song? Wow, that's a toughie. Just to have to identify a less favorite. I don't want. I I gotta say, I'm not really a big fan of the big schmaltzy ballads. So you know, if you if if we got to say. Um, let it be something like that. Yeah. No, no, I understand that. I'm not a big fan of the, you know, over the top yeah. Paul ballads. Like if the long and winding road comes on the radio, I, I will turn the radio either to a different channel yep. or off altogether. I, I, I know that that one was going to be, uh, you know, that was another candidate for it. <laughs> yeah. 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 On the, the other only hand, thing that saves the only thing that saves "Let It Be" for me is the awesome guitar solo played by either John or George, depending on which version you're listening to. Dig it, dig it. I know what you mean, and you do know your your history and the details on those. Thank you. What is your favorite Beatles album? Probably the the one I listen to most is probably Revolver. Yes, that's the right answer. That, <laughs> well, God, I'm glad the, I got one right. <laughs> yeah, that's the scientifically proven correct Beatles album of choice for the Beatles fans. It's it, a, it's it, just the it's the right answer. Yeah, it, it's it's a right tough answer. call. I love 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 the early stuff the, the high energy she loves you from me to you please please me and especially when paul was playing those live there was nothing like that the, just the buoyancy and the, the the 
fun that comes through Can't Buy Me Love. You're going to stand and scream when that one comes on. And then I love the, like the psychedelic ones. Uh, it's all too much. Uh, you know my name, look up the number. I love that song just because of the weird place song. it goes to. But that's, oh, yeah. that's not for everyone. So. Uh, but it, it's one of my favorites, too. It took me a long time to really appreciate that song, but now it's in my top ten. But having having a um, favorite album, it's like having you know having a favorite dog. I love them all. Yeah, yeah except one of them is just a little better. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. What's your least favorite Beatles album? Jeez. I. Again, it's hard to go for a least favorite. The the one I probably play least is Let It Be. I would... That's also yeah. on this show the correct answer. Because <laughs> I'm just standing uh, looking at the that at my uh, my basically a C, the CD box set here, and uh, which one which one comes out least? Uh, probably Let It Be. Yeah, it, it's, I know it's a bit of a controversial choice to some, but I really cannot get into Let It Be. It has some great songs on it, not going to lie. Phil Spector may have shot it in the head. Yeah. Uh, like he has done other things. Yep. That, that, uh, the, the Spector factor and the, uh, you can't help but hear the angst or the, 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 the shit that they were going through uh, does come, come through even on, in, on what can be heard as a happy song. You can still kind of, you know, they, like like the divorce is just around the around the corner because it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned when you're talking about your favorite uh, Beatles song, you mentioned uh, you know nothing better than seeing Paul live doing these. You would know a bit about seeing Paul live now, wouldn't you? I I've seen Paul live, yes, <laughs> several times. Yeah. You are one of the original fans on the run, and I would like to apologize publicly for stealing the name. Oh no, no, that that I never had any type of claim to that phrase, or uh, in fact, one of the reasons from the very first time that I made a sign to hold up during Band on the Run for the fans on the run, I always included an S on the word fans on the run. Because one of if there was a purpose, or if if I wanted to hold up that sign to send a message to Paul, it was that there are still a bunch of us, plural S fans on the run. There's a bunch of us out here that still absolutely love you and thank you for the music, and that's the that's the purpose of the message. So if you or anyone embraces the phrase "fans on the run," to to send that message back to Paul and to share that uh, hopefully positive message among all uh, the, the fans on the run. And that's the, that's the, you don't have to apologize for using the phrase yeah. fans on the run. There's a, there's a, a website that's got, uh, I'm thinking we're approaching 20,000 people on, on the website that's fans on the run that was oh, wow. uh, uh, created by the, uh, the uh, Joy down in and at all and uh, the or a Facebook page where that uh, all the all the fans on the run can come come through that that 
uh, group page and share share your stories about seeing Paul alive. And uh, like I said, there's uh, the reason that I put the S on uh, the word the the banner that says "Fans on the Run" is to include all the fans uh, the, uh, of Paul Paul and. Uh, all the Beatle fans all over the, the world. So it's, we're uh, all fans you, on the run. If you like that phrase, fans on the run, run with it. And uh, like I said, they, there's a, a girl, Joy, down in Panama that uh, set up that group page. And uh, there's, uh, we're, I think we're approaching 20,000 members on the fans on the run uh, group group page there. So check that out. And that's a great page to share, uh, share memories, photos, and uh, uh Friendships. We we a lot of us know each other on a, you know, a personal basis. So, uh, anytime you uh, see that phrase "fans on the run," it's uh, it's certainly a, uh, in a sharing mode. That's why why the S is on there. So, run with it, man. Apart from my first guest, who was my uncle, I think uh, you might have been the first person I've interviewed who I've met the earliest because I think we actually did meet in Hamilton, Ontario, back yeah. in 2016. Because I, I remember seeing the fans on the run there. I'm like, okay, that's that's really cool. And I, I was wearing my Sgt. Pepper costume. Yes, I own a Sgt. Pepper costume. You can laugh Doesn't at me everyone? in the comments. <laughs> yeah, everyone should. Everyone, everyone should. I'll put yeah. a picture of me in, my, in the Sgt. Pepper outfit. Like, yeah. The only uncomfortable thing was going to the bathroom in that thing and trying to use the <laughs> urinal. It's like, how do I move this giant ornate military coat out of the way? I usually have assistance. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask for a definition of assistance, but I decided against it. Yeah. Volunteers. Um, yeah. But I, I remember during Band on the Run... Uh, the camera went into the crowd and there were these people who, one of them I assume is you, were holding up signs in time with the music saying like fans on the run. That happens every show that we go to. We've, we've done all kinds of mass signs that we, we welcome back Paul. Thank you Paul. Happy birthday. And anytime we can get uh, get the messages out there like that. I love to do the uh, uh, the, the card stunts where we can hand, we've handed out hundreds of signs that say thank you paul welcome back paul for the new new leg of the tour or something like that and he seems to get a kick out of it he acknowledge, usually acknowledges some in some way and some some nights he even sings fans on the run if you listen very closely to some of the uh, some of some of the youtube uh, clips you can hear him him he will uh, what we think we've noticed is he will turn around to abe and give him a sign that they're going to sing fans on the run, and yeah. you can you can literally hear the fans on the run as you sing. Yeah, it's a thrill. Such a lovely audience. Especially when he looks out and says, "You come up on stage with me and let me uh, have one of those badges too," because you know we made the badges that said uh, "fans yeah. on the run" and gave those to the uh, each of the band members, and then that that one night in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. When uh, he, he, it was my 135th show of seeing Paul since 1976. So, oh, wow. Um, he, uh, he pulled me up on stage that night and uh, let me hand him one of those badges. And 
thank it, thank him personally, and uh, I, I'll be glad to tell you too. When when we were uh, given the hug there, I I said I love you, sir, right into his ear, and it was a thrill to to uh, to say that uh, just to where I absolutely know that he heard my voice. Uh, tell him that uh, basically thanks for for the last 60 years of uh, of all the thrills and happiness. I, I will admit a bit of embarrassment at that same Hamilton, Ontario concert. Okay. I decided I, w I would bring a, a sign, uh, except I, I didn't really know much about concert signs, how big they should be, how big I should write. Uh, my row was very enthusiastic for me. Like they were like waving, like screaming, Paul up here, Paul up here, trying to get them to look at me. Right. Um, and he did. He did. He gave me an air like fist in the air. Um, and then I could see him trying to read my sign. Yeah. Because it was that part of the show where he was reading the signs. But mm -hmm. I don't think he could actually read it because I had written it too small. Well, you might be surprised because, yeah. well, I, I I don't want to say it like that, but I, but I have been there, and I you can see so well the lights. The, uh, it, it, it is not impossible that he, he saw that sign, and I know that he really, I, I say I know, I believe that he really enjoys the uh, the interaction with the fans uh, like like that himself, but because he, he seems to just thrive on on that uh, what we call significant eye contact. When he looks at you and you know he's looking at you and he knows he's looking at you and you know and you know and all that back and forth, it's uh, it's a magic moment. Uh, um, and I at one point I knew he looked at me and I know his guitar player. Uh, what's his What's his name? Uh, Brian Ray. Uh, Rusty the Anderson. One with the, Rusty Anderson looked yes. at me, and he gave me a thumbs up, and then Paul gave me you know like a woo. Fist yeah, in man. the air. I haven't lived that down since, you know. Like I said. You know, acknowledged my existence. It's a thrill when that happens, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable when that happens is what it is. It's it, uh, sadness that did not happen when I saw Ringo. That he didn't acknowledge? No, I was not acknowledged by Ringo Starr. You know, I don't think Ringo sees as well as Paul. I, yeah. I I think it's a vision thing with, with Ringo. He he his his glasses seem to be getting thicker as as he gets older. But of course, Ringo is eighty years old. He deserves some flexibility on his ability to see or, in, or interact with the kids. But uh, you you might be surprised too. But Ringo, they're just different personalities. Well, it also could be a, a factor of that whole like. No autographs, please. Peace well, that's, and love. Peace that and is love. another thing. He he feels that people are always wanting something, and that's there's a certain element of truth to that too. But oh, yeah. uh, they they're different people, and they 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 interact with the with the crowds and um, in different ways. But that's a fun. Uh, the Ringo shows are fun too. And I'm I'm oh, so yeah. so glad and happy that uh, Ringo decided to start doing that in 1989. That's 31 years ago now, man. Do the fans on the run also go to the Ringo shows? Oh, yeah. Love those shows. I'm wondering, did we meet again? Uh, were you at the 2018 show in Pittsburgh? For Paul? For Ringo. For Ringo's Ringo. All-Star all Band. 
2018, probably not. I've had uh, the, 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 the last five years, I've had to curtail my travel a bit. So I, I, I only saw a couple of the Ringo shows on that tour. And I do not think, I think that year was uh, Denver and Atlanta, maybe. But don't don't believe so. But maybe we'll maybe we'll what what we'll have to do is we'll just have to plan to cross paths again when we uh, will when the circumstances allow it. And uh, Ringo and Paul, I believe, will be touring as long as they can because they seem to love it. As soon as Paul announces he's coming back to anywhere within a seven-hour drive of Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. I will be there, and hopefully you will be there, and hopefully I will get a badge. We we will cross paths if at all possible, and uh, I'll I'll have some goodies for you if at all possible too. How's that? Fantastic. Cool. So now it's my favorite part of the show where I get to throw it over to you. What do you want to plug? To what do I want to to plug? Yes. Plug. Uh, I've really got nothing to plug except being a Beatle fan, man. I, uh, you know, let me let me say this: uh, all your listeners are certainly welcome to uh, tune into my little uh, live broadcasts. Uh, on what I'm doing is on Tuesdays and Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern time. I uh, take the uh, the Beatles collection and put the spotlight on one or two pieces that uh, I'll have a little story about or uh, an encounter story where I'll meet someone from uh, in the Beatles circle. And I'd just like to invite your listeners to, uh, to watch that and put a comment on my, uh, my Facebook page, or uh, I've got a group page set up for all the, the uh, archived shows too. So you can join that. It's called live at five from my Beatles collection room. And uh, would certainly, uh, I, I'm enjoying doing that a lot. So I would enjoy uh, having your listeners uh, check those out and give me some feedback on that. Okay, I can you're plug missing that. out if you're if you're not going to watch his stuff. It, well, thanks. It's, it's really entertaining. All right, Ricky. Thanks for saying that. that. Hopefully that Floridian weather treats you well. Yeah, Thank it's about so time to hit the pool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> thanks. I'm. I think it's about time to hit the pool and i uh, certainly enjoyed uh, chatting with the fans on the run podcast man keep it up and certainly keep the fans on the run on the run i will and to everyone else out there thanks for listening you can go home now peace and love fans on the run is produced by ethan alexander additional voiceovers by richard Phillip. this has been a showtime production